Welcome to the Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. This is a podcast where we rewatch and discuss the Great British Bake Off. Um, right at the top of the show, we need to talk about uh, the wrath of the Netflix gods. A tragedy that has befallen us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so they, so Netflix has removed uh, most of the early seasons uh, in the U.S. and then, and also like every other platform available in America, took off those episodes all at the same time. Presumably, some kind of licensing deal ran out. So uh, we are going to continue on with series five. Uh, and then when we reach the end, by the time we reach the end of series five, we will have decided what we're going to do next. If we will continue on with series six or if we'll jump ahead to the next available season. Uh, it's still, it's series five is still available on CBC gem for our Canadian listeners. Uh, but us listeners, we will figure something out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. We started Initially, like the rough puffs, we began it began the show with series three of Great British Bake Off, not because we have any um, vendettas against anyone featured on series one or two, but simply because that's where the availability started for U.S. viewers. Um, so this throws a bit of a wrench into things, and we apologize to our U.S. viewers who are watching or rewatching along. Yeah, that does that does uh, bring up a, a, a strange possibilities. We could go back and watch series one if we're we giving could. up. <laughs> if we're giving up on reachability, I don't know. Anyway, we got to talk about it. Let's not talk about it today because, I don't know, we're still dealing with the grief. So let's talk about some self-saucing puddings. We're in episode four of series five, Dessert Week. Yes, and the first challenge, the signature challenge, is to make eight individually portioned self-saucing puddings, which um, I didn't realize that I knew that this was a thing. Uh, the only self-saucing pudding I was familiar with before I saw this episode for the first time um, was like molten chocolate cakes. Chocolate lava cakes. Yeah, that's what we call them here. And uh, I loved those as a child. <laughs> so. There is a restaurant that specializes in molten chocolate cakes called Hot Cakes uh, here in Ooh. Seattle that we discovered and got to go to exactly two times before we went back to not going to restaurants I, I, in that lovely middle period of the pandemic. <laughs> God, it feels like that middle period didn't last nearly long enough. Anyway, all right. So Martha makes a distinctly North American kind of pudding, which is a peanut butter chocolate fondant. And that's not a picture of fondant. I didn't think that a fondant had anything to do with self-saucing puddings, but it is what it is. She has a peanut butter center, a chocolate sponge, and then caramelized peanuts. Um... A few of hers collapse, and then Paul has some feedback that is um, somewhat common amongst Europeans about peanut butter type things in general. He says that the peanut butter chocolate fondants are welding his mouth shut. You know, I'm I th- I think I'm with Paul on this one. Even just his his inability to talk while he was eating it <laughs> makes me believe him. JP really, really loves peanut butter flavored desserts. Uh, and so I, f- and I feel like you're always sharing desserts when you get dessert. So I feel like this has happened so many times is that he's, we've ordered like the peanut butter dessert he picks and it is so glommy and it does weld your mouth shut and it does just need to be diluted to function in a dessert to function in this saucy way as Paul suggests in this case. Yeah, so I guess she should have thinned it out with cream and stuff like that. 
but she didn't, so it is what it is. Mary does say that it's a light, beautiful sponge. Uh, Mary likes Martha, I think. I think she thinks Martha is like a, a lovely young woman. And so the vibe is that she's looking for something nice to say. <laughs> I also think Martha is a lovely young woman. She is. She is. No, I know. This episode was in the middle of her exams. Like she had a week of exams before this, and then she has a week of exams to come. Um, and at the at the talking head, because they were critical of the peanut butter situation, and in the talking head, she talks about you know needing to keep it together and trying to be a tough cookie, but sometimes the cookie crumbles. But she still seems really happy and stable and keep like she's keeping it together quite well she is this is the type of situation i would have put myself in as a like oh yeah i can do that i can do that i can do this i can do it during exams that's fine but then but then if there was a camera on me it would have seen that like i looked far less showered than martha and maybe cried <laughs> I, I mean, when I was 17, I got it all done somehow, you know, like you yeah. close a restaurant at 3 a.m. and then go to hi- go back to high school, right? Like, like when I look back at it, I don't understand how I physically had the energy to get everything done, but I did not have her sunny attitude about anything, no. <laughs> you know, like I could, I could do anything I felt like when I was 17, but I would be like fucking miserable about it and everyone would know. Yeah. 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 That's about it. Um, so let's see. Ian does a dark dark chocolate and lime sponge with a raspberry center, and he makes chocolate painted raspberries. This is a weird set of flavors to me. The judges like it. Is it a weird set of flavors to you? Yeah. When Paul says I love chocolate and lime, I was like, okay. <laughs> so I agree. The flavors struck me as weird. I wasn't that into it. Um, I also thought Ian's was not as sort of impressive to me as, for example, Richard's, which I think is a is a useful comparison um, because they both did pretty straightforward uh, chocolate lava cakes, basically, right? Yeah. With like molten centers. And Richard's looks so elegant. You know, it looks... It does. Like the side, the little pink side dollop is such an appealing color. Like I feel like the way it, the way it cuts and the shape of it, it look it looks fancy in a very appealing way. Whereas I thought Ian's looked sort of like a commercial product almost. Like it was sort of unadorned in a way that made me think of like ho hos. You know, <laughs> I realize I talk so much about about this type of baked good on the show, but uh, yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It's sort of like something bland and commercial. Ho hos are my favorite commercial uh pastry is that how you call them anyway yeah baked good but you would yeah, agree I mean, that they're not the most aesthetically beautiful things uh, they have their charms no no you're right richard is very detail oriented he's so he's just very um he's just very skilled in a, in a bunch of different ways and he does a cherry coolie center and a chocolate sponge and a chocolate cover covered cherry and and those flavors too are are more appealing um mary says now that's what i call a sauced pudding which is like no better compliment to get than that the way the the shiny dark cherries like spill out of the cake is it like it just looks so delicious yeah and also paul says it tastes complicated which i think is my favorite adjective for food is i want food to be complicated because that says to me you're not going to get bored of it halfway through you just keep on chewing um, so Richard's would have been my first choice based on the way they actually turned out. And my second choice would be Kate with the uh, salted caramel centers uh, in her molten puddings. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and then toasted almonds all along the outside. Even though she had that incident with the oven in the oven where they were like bubbling over, uh, I thought that looked like such a delicious like Christmas treat was my thought. Um, like if you were if I was in the mood for something really, really decadent, it would be Kate's all the way. I'm going to make some salted caramel ice cream at some point. The first kind of ice cream I'm going to make is pistachio ice cream. This is just for fun. This is an outside of the podcast sweet treat. And I'm looking forward to it. I love a salted caramel. It is one of those things that came in as a sort of trendy thing a while ago. But I think it can stick around. Sometimes a flavor blows in and it's like not that exciting. Like when everything was charcoal for a while. Who cares? But... <laughs> I don't know. The salted caramel came to the ice cream shops and it stayed for a reason. Um, let's see. Oh, you know, I I would not want to eat Louis uh Louise with um he uses a poaching syrup to make a sauce at the bottom of a poached pear pudding. I like that idea. I think he should have thickened the poaching syrup though. But um I do kind of like the idea of like a just a pear in the pudding aesthetically it looks beautiful it's not going to be my choice because i'll always go for something chocolate or something nutty or something citrusy like there are so many things i would go for before i go for a pear pudding if i was ordering off the menu based on the descriptions i would have ordered louise i love poached pears um, and the idea of like a whole poached pear in the center of a cake appeals to me very deeply and so i was really disappointed with the way it, it turned out like when when paul dribbles the like thin liquid full of yeah. crumbs uh, and it's just the poaching liquid and there's not very much of it and then he says the cake is claggy uh, which is such a great british word to describe ex- the texture it's onomatopoeic i guess uh i was the most disappointed in louise like i wanted that one to be good i feel like i'm talking as though i got to eat them all <laughs> <laughs> you got to imagine eating them all Oh, Nancy does a chocolate and pistachio sponge with chocolate sauce um, that she says has succeeded once out of the ten times she's tried it at home, and it does not succeed on the show. There's no sauce. Um, I think the flavor is good, but she overbaked it a little. At the beginning, Paul, as she's describing what she's going to do, Paul's like, oh, like he's, he does that thing where he's like about to explain why what she's doing is wrong or stupid, and then he catches himself, and he didn't explain why later and i love the ex- the why explanation later he often remembers but maybe it got cut out mm. but i was super curious about like what was wrong with her technique so this doesn't answer your question but at the end nancy says something i thought was interesting which is that she disagreed with the, the idea that the cakes her cakes were too dry and overbaked um, because she pointed out that you would normally eat this type of pudding straight out of the oven in like two minutes like you'd eat it it's hot from the oven right. you eat it in like two minutes it wouldn't have time to dry out the way a cake would uh she did say that and presumably the way it would while the judges are walking around and judging all of the puddings like maybe she was one of the later ones being judged so hers were like sitting out in the air for a minute mm. which yeah i don't know it's an interesting argument like at my poor beloved hot cakes <laughs> you know you have to wait half an hour and then they bring <laughs> you the cake straight out of the oven Nancy, I, Nancy's so endearing. I like Nancy. She, she knows herself very well. I feel like she would have, she absolutely would have admitted if it was her fault. Mm-hmm. But in this case, she's like, eh, it's not my fault. They are inaccurate, and it's their fault. Yeah, I believe her. So, yeah. <laughs> 
so Diana, who is not, you know, I've, I've said a number of times she's not my favorite. I do, I would eat hers. So she makes um, a lemon and orange uh, curd pot, which is, it's usually a lemon pot. That the style, I've also seen the style in the 90s of self-saucing pudding. And hers is weird because you incorporate the syrup into the batter or the sauce into the batter, and then it's supposed to drop to the bottom to create a curd. So from a science perspective, I'm super curious about, like, how that happens. Apparently that's, like, the traditional way to do it. I looked this up afterward because they kept calling it – they kept saying Diana's the only one doing a traditional surprise pudding, and so I, like, Googled that to see what that meant. Um, And, yeah, that's traditionally how you do it. Like, that's the trick of it is you make the mixture, but then it separates as it heats – I thought, okay, so Mary really liked the way Diana's looked. Like, she thought it looked really fun. Uh, I thought it was hideous. <laughs> I thought it, it was hideous. It was, it looked so messy and it looked, and the, the teacup thing, I didn't think looked like cute and like a party thing. It looked like the kind of thing I would do because I was too lazy to wash the ramekins or something, you know? Like, it, it looks like the kind of thing that would happen in my house because I made too much pudding and I had to jam it somewhere. Um, I think her whole rind situation it made me think of like a a shrimp cocktail you know like in the 1950s which is not an appealing image for desserts i was surprised that they like they liked it as much as they did they were very positive about it it's aesthetics if if it is a dessert situation and you're gonna eat the lemon orange curd pot and you're also gonna have tea then you're like having i don't know it's like a teacup beside your teacup dessert Mm -hmm. i i i prefer it i don't like things in repurposed other things like just make gbbo bring you a ramekin or maybe there are actual salt there are pudding pots actually which like we don't have those so much in north america which is why i made my sticky toffee puddings and ramekins (laughs) there used to be a subreddit called uh we want plates which was like just pictures of of food served on things that aren't plates and being frustrated (laughs) about it like shovels and test tubes and planks of wood. And I mean, you gotta know the dishwasher also in that scenario is just like fuck you guys, yeah. fuck you, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> anyway, all right, we should really move on because we've been talking about so sauce and puddings for Ages. a while. Yeah. Do we want to mention the historical segment? <gasps> I didn't have a historical segment. They cut it out on CBC Gem. Oh, it was super brief. It was super brief. It was just about a, a small town in England that uh, makes giant puddings for holiday for special occasions, and about an incident in 1859 where they made a 1.5 ton spotted dick, um, <laughs> which Sue loved. Right? The the, oh, the yeah. baker, you know, was just like, you know, it's a it's a traditional syrup pudding with raisins, and Sue was like, massive spotted dick. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very large dick. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for describing the interstitial. Yeah, I'm now slightly cheesed off that they did not have it on CBC Gem. I like the historical segments. I come for the historical segments and because I like it. It's sweet. troubling to me that we're all getting different versions of these episodes. Yeah. All right. So the technical challenge this week is a Mary Berry recipe. It's her famous tiramisu cake um an adaptation of the classic um again this is something that strikes me as that reminds me of my childhood um but so mary's version is coffee and brandy 
the version from my childhood is coffee and Kahlua. Hmm. So anytime I make a tiramisu, I make it with Kahlua. One of my favorite memories from childhood is somebody gave us a frozen tiramisu from the M&M meat store. I don't know why they sold frozen. Anyway, um, it was a gift and nobody in my family knew what it was. Like nobody had ever had a tiramisu before and we didn't know (laughs) you were supposed to thaw it. So we just ate it frozen and it was amazing. (laughs) It was amazing frozen, right? It was like a tiramisu ice cream cake. Actually, Richard ends up doing something similar in the showstopper, um, but it was like one of the best things I've ever eaten is a frozen tiramisu that we didn't thaw. So we get two and a half hours to make this tiramisu, coffee and brandy, chocolate and mars- um, mascarpone and cheese. Luis says he has a bit of a leg up in this case because he has a design agency and so everything has to be precise. So as they, they're supposed to bake these sponge cakes, which like a classic tiramisu, uh, you use ladyfinger mm-hmm. biscuits. So they're doing a cake version, um, and Mary quite evilly gets them to slice the cake horizontally instead of baking, like, thin cakes, or I don't know. Ah. And so if they don't get enough rise from their cakes, which, like, a couple of them don't, they cannot slice them horizontally. It's just, like, completely impossible. It sort of is for almost everybody. They deal it with deal with it in different ways. Like Richard and Ian have to start over because their cakes are flat. Um, but Nancy and Kate, I think, both sort of cobble together a fourth layer, like because they're only able to cut it into three, and then so the fourth layer is sort of just cobbled together out of the side scraps. Uh, and it seems like it functions pretty well. Like once you soak a bunch of scraps in coffee and brandy, who's going to know, right? It's a pretty pretty good solution. Yeah. You know what's interesting is we watch sort of Ian and Richard go through the exact same thing, like realizing the cake is too flat and it's like not cuttable and they have to start again. Um, And Richard kind of handles it very well emotionally. Like he's very optimistic to the camera the whole time. He's like, well, I guess I got to do it again. You know, like I'm going to make it. He's like, this time it's it's better. It could get a more rise, but what what are you going to do? And Ian like just like makes grunts of frustration the whole time. Like Ian is just sort of walking around his station going like, ah, and it's, yeah, it's interesting to watch like the two of them dealing with the same thing so differently. Well, Richard's a builder, right? And then what does Ian do for, is he a surveyor or something? I feel like we see him in an earlier episode, like with a hard hat and one of those little, um, Ian is a construction engineer. Okay. So Apparently. maybe he's less, yeah, I don't know, less capable of dealing with frustration and redos. But uh, maybe he he works in more of the theoretical than yeah. than uh, Richard does. <laughs> Richard's on the build side. Yeah, I have that. I have that problem a little bit. Like anyway, whatever. I I was gonna give you a um a working as a bike mechanic segue. I understand theory and then like translating the theory to practice can be frustrating and difficult for me because everything uh, in real life, you're, you might be using a tool that has like a slightly rounded edge and then maybe the, t- the someone has cut their bike outside and so you have to use more force to get off the wood. You know, yeah. there are lots of different things that like crop up in real life. So um when I worked as a bike mechanic, I mean, there are lots of things I love doing, but, but pressure-wise, like under the clock, I found, gotcha. I found some things frustrating, but I really loved teaching 
which is like you have to have a sort of understanding of the theory behind what you're doing if you want to sort of teach effectively because otherwise you want people to communicate what you're doing to other people and so yeah different people have their different strengths you understand ian's grunts of frustration i understand ian's grunts of frustration but wish i was a richard Mm. you know what i mean yeah i hear you i hear you Uh, I also like the way that Louis measures out his four lots of coffee brandy so that each layer gets an even amount of mix. That's smart. That's real smart. Louis makes a diagram that functionally is just alternating layers of of sponge (laughs) and filling. And uh, it's cute. It's extremely cute. So how do they do? At the bottom, there's Diana in ninth, Norman in eighth, and Kate in seventh. I want to talk about Diana's. Diana's, the the coffee brandy runs straight out. Like hers leaves, you know, a big (laughs) puddle on the table underneath her cake stand. Paul Paul describes her like piping the the mascarpone mixture all the way around the outside as OTT. It's a mess. It looks a mess. It's a big mess. Yeah. At the top of the pack, we've got uh, Chetna in third, Louis in second, and Martha in first, which is kind of nice. And she's elated to come in first. Martha did mention that she's the she thought she was the only one in the room who had made it before. I mean, that does help. I've I've made them before, but it's only going to eat so far. I guess you know what it looks like and what to expect. But I mean, I've only ever made it with ladyfingers, so... Alrighty, speaking of which, let's move on to Andrea's Baking Corner. So, I love a tiramisu, and the first baked alasa I ever made for this show, for uh, the first bake I ever made for this show was was a baked alaska, and it, we started things off with a bang, and it was actually around this time last year. So, um, I made a Nutella brownie uh, base, and then uh, did mint chocolate ice cream, and I think I bought the mint chocolate ice cream, maybe. Did you make ice cream this time? I made ice cream, yeah. So I made ladyfingers. I made uh, coffee Kahlua ice cream. And then then I had the, the meringue. So um, so yeah, I made, a, I made a tiramisu baked Alaska. And I kind of did Richard's technique of, uh, yeah, mixing the ladyfingers in with the ice cream. And I piped on my meringue this time to make it a little bit fancier and try to do it in a Richardish, Richardish fashion. So if you make ice cream, the custard for ice cream uses a ton of egg yolks, like six egg yolks in my case usually. And then you need egg whites for the meringue. So it is another one of these desserts that is like kind of perfectly balanced in a way. And the ladyfingers required... Uh, I think it was three eggs and one egg white. So that was nice. I mean, it was, an, it was 10 eggs went into this. Oh, God. <laughs> Which is nuts. And you wouldn't really know from looking at it, I don't think. But yeah, 10 eggs. What do you, how do you feel about like making it this time versus making it last year? Last year, it felt like, um, whoa, this huge thing I'm undertaking. Oh, my God. And I didn't even make the ice cream. And this year... It was really, it was a really normal and easy thing for me to make lady fingers, make ice cream, and turn it into a baked Alaska. Oh my god! Which I think, 
I think it's just like I've gotten so used to this, you know, several stage bake from from recording this show. I worked at a bakery for a bit when I was younger, but it was uh, it was an organic bakery in a small scale operation. But each of us kind of got our own tasks. And so I tended to make butter tarts and date squares. And so I got really good at making butter tarts and date squares. And then sort of since then, and especially since not being able to eat gluten, like I've gone through phases of just like baking stuff um, and kind of learned a little bit how to make bread and um, galette dough and uh, pie crust. But, uh, but yeah, this past year I've baked a lot more than usual. And I've tried out like way more new skills and I've learned a lot and I've learned sort of what I love doing. And Are you running out of storage space for specialized baking tools? <laughs> I've had to reorganize my kitchen a little bit, but I, ha- I just, I just have, I have a few more things in, coming in the mail that I'm excited about that I probably shouldn't talk about because they'll, you know, they'll come up on later episodes of the show. But yeah, it's been good. I still, I have never made a Swiss meringue buttercream, and so I'm kind of like, I'll be looking out for an opportunity to do that, but I've learned that I really love making curds and custards and mousses, Mm. anything that involves like emulsion, and I don't know, it feels almost like like a symbolic thing to do. So this, okay, so this recipe was completely hiccup-free, like like ladyfingers, ice cream, meringue, and then putting it in the oven, all of it went perfectly smooth? Yeah, it went really smoothly. Um, you'll see from my ladyfingers, I wasn't, I wasn't obsessed with them being, like, perfect, like, all the same length and blah, blah, because they were going into the ice cream yeah. anyway, and... And I was doing it with Sinclair, and so I was just like, I got him on there. How was the ice cream? The ice cream sounds amazing. (laughs) Oh, my God. The ice cream was so good. The ice cream was so good. It's one of my favorite ice creams I think I've ever had in my life. Doesn't it get Sinclair amped up to eat it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I only realized after the first, she ate it with dinner the first day. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, it has caffeine and Kahlua in it Jesus Christ like parent of the year but then she had a little bit more like the next day at at lunchtime which is our regular kind of dessert-ish time for her so okay so the only thing because I built this recipe based on what I'd seen Richard do Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure like how much he soaked his ladyfingers before they went in or if he was letting the ice cream, like soften ice cream, kind of soak into them. So I did make a coffee and Kahlua mix to brush onto the ladyfingers. But if I was doing it again, I would soak them more. And it was only on like sort of re-watching the episode for the second time like this year. that it, Well, no, I, I tried to watch his technique, but I kind of missed it. And so I went back and rewatched when we I rewatched it to take notes for this episode. Then I noticed on his ladyfinger color, color when they slice it open that he had soaked them mm. definitely in a coffee. So that would be the only thing that I would do differently. But I would say like this is going on my list of things that I would 100% do to uh, do again. 
I might purchase the ladyfingers next time because, well, I don't know. Like, are gluten-free ladyfingers that av- readily available? Yeah. Well, um, one of the places I get my specialty flour or whatever online also has gluten-free ladyfingers. I've talked about them on the show a little bit before, but I'm not going to give them another like sort of free advertisement. But it's the place where I have to get the skincare stuff for my sensitive red rosacea skin and they have sorghum flour um <laughs> oh geez that was like the most middle-aged sentence that's ever left my mouth if you do make the lady fingers yourself as you did this time it is such an impressive dessert right it's so many different technical skills in one mm. in one thing you know like like the swirling looks looks great on the outside but i think there's something to the the sheer fact of it like I think it's very impressive even if you just talk about it do you know what I mean like it's so I think all three major parts of it are things most people can't do I think everybody could do it it's just whether or not you want to spend that much of your time well I mean they they couldn't offhand like if you ask somebody to do it right now they probably couldn't oh maybe you know okay so it takes two specialized things or it doesn't take two but so I used an ice cream maker, um, which I didn't have, I don't think, this time last year. And then, But then the other thing that I did, um, the other thing we have here uh, is a chest freezer. And so when I freeze, when I freeze that thing overnight, like I'm freezing it hard, the chest freezer gets colder than a fridge freezer. Did you make a smaller ice cream center this time than last time? Because I remember the I last, did. yeah, like the when you made it last time a year ago, <laughs> you regretted making the ice cream ball it quite so huge. large. Oh my god, it was massive. Yeah, that was so funny. In this case, I used all the ice cream I had and I used all the lady fingers I made. So I would do it again pretty much the same. Although Sinclair, we'd all kind of tried a lady finger and I would have, I would, I would not allow that next time we have to retain them all if mm. I was baking them because I thought I mean it looked like a lot on the pan and then they sunk into the mold the other thing I was worried about was um normally you have a cake layer on the bottom and so what's touching the pan is a cake layer and in this case I had an it was a mix of ice cream mm-hmm. and cake and so I was worried it was going to bleed through but uh but but it was fine it was it didn't melt it actually it was surprisingly non-melty um the only thing I need to figure out for next year I don't really have a baking sheet that doesn't have a lip so every single time I've made this I've had to put uh tin foil on top of like a pizza pan that has vent holes so like I wouldn't be able to get at the bottom of the meringue if I put it in this other like big baking pan that I have so it has to go on the circular kind of like pizza pan thing that I have, but that has vent holes. And obviously you can't have vent holes if you don't want like a melted ice cream right. dripping into your oven. You could also just get a blowtorch. It's on my list. I have a list of ridiculous prezzies. Well, not ridiculous. I got a list of prezzies that I would like to get myself at some point in time. And culinary blowtorch is on that list for meringue reasons. And creme brulee. Yeah. I'm I'm all for getting yourself any prezi you want right now. <laughs> Thank you. I was actually in kind of a bad mood when I was watching this episode in terms of pandemic feelings. And somewhere in my notes, in all capital letters, it says, uh, I need an ice cream maker if this bullshit is going to continue. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you should get an ice cream maker. I think I will by the summer. It's exciting. It's really nice to be able to try out different flavors. Although, I th- when we got it, I thought I would be able to use it to make ice creams with all the... Will likes to grow shrubs that grow technically edible berries that aren't delicious, and I thought I could ice cream them. But we tried with a gummy berry last year, and the gummy berry... It's not the flavor even that makes it tricky to eat. It's that when it touches your mouth, it sucks all of the moisture. Yeah, from... they're really astringent. <laughs> and, so, and that, you know, ice cream doesn't actually solve that problem. It's just you're eating like essentially a vanilla ice cream studded with little bombs <laughs> of astringent. <laughs> nightmare we should move on to the showstopper because the showstopper is so juicy it is i was actually dreading this what re-watching this episode when i realized what episode we'd hit on i was dreading it and then i got excited about my tiramisu baked alaska and then i was dreading it again <laughs> so the showstopper is a baked alaska they need to make a sponge they need to make an ice cream they need to do a meringue coat they need to they get blow torches they don't have to go into the oven lucky them so they get four and a half hours and the very first thing nancy says is four and a half hours to make ice cream my god and then louis says what can possibly go wrong and then there's an immediate editing cut to paul saying there's there's maybe a lot of things that can go wrong in a baked Alaska. It's it's a very skillful moment of editing where you know that things are going to like explode and they're making their baked Alaska on the hottest day of the year. Something yeah, something we didn't talk about during the technical is that the the little chocolate decorations on the outside uh, oh, of yeah. everybody's were at best tilting um and and you know Mary said like I'm not going to penalize them for that. Uh, and in this one it it's is even more absurd than cutting the cake horizontally, right? Like trying to make ice cream in a limited time in a very hot tent. Um, right, let's talk about some that we like, and then we'll get to the meltdown. Well, okay. So, so to my point about them all melting, um, I think during the judging, when we get to it eventually, they they have to kind of. Uh, imagine the judges you know i feel like the judges are very kind where they're eating everybody's and they're kind of imagining what would it would be like if it was fully frozen and judging it on that basis but i will say they don't have to do that for kate's um so even though i think like there's lots of them that taste great and the judges say lots of positive things i feel like kate is the only one that is actually a baked alaska like it's actually like frozen in the middle um and they get to just eat it normally and they feel really excited about eating it normally uh and just for just for that alone just for like pure structure like kate's would have been my pick yeah kate's does look gorgeous it's pistachio raspberry and chocolate sponge um and it, it looks very stunning also um martha's is really cool it's a key lime pie inspired baked alaska so she's got a biscuit base and then a sponge, and then lime curd, coconut ice cream topped with meringue, which is a lot of stuff to do in that four and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And she pulls it off pretty well. She's got a nice sponge. She's got good curd. It looks beautiful. And then um, chutnut is a coconut cake with mango and raspberry ice cream. Uh, This one does melt to... Melts, it melts. It melts into into being unrecognizable on the outside it melts into oblivion but they say it's really delicious the judges paul says Mm -hmm. the mango and cardamom is gorgeous and mary says you forget all about what it looks like because it's so stunning when you eat it um and i would believe that i think those flavors sound incredible yeah i mean as they were doing the baking 
I also felt like they should have figured out how to get chest freezers in or extra freezers in because some of the freezers aren't functioning properly and and again like a chest freezer just sets it has it's at a colder temperature than a than a fridge freezer and you know on the on the U.S. baking shows which are like not as good as GBBO in many many ways what they will always have is like a blast chiller and they always have like professional grade ice cream makers. Yes. Yes, that's true. Both of which make your life much easier in these contexts. Um, and that does actually make me want to segue to Ian, who makes a toasted black sesame seed and honey ice cream. So, okay, before we get into what happens, uh, something that annoyed me a little bit uh, is everybody kept talking about how bad the black, black sesame looks because of the color, because it's gray. Yeah. They, they describe it as, as revolting. Um, Mary scowls it and says it doesn't look an exciting color, um, but, you know, we hope it tastes good. And that, to me, was just so strange. It was just like, it's kind of a matter of what you're used to. Like, I don't think it's inherently an unappealing color for food, uh, the way some other colors are, um, you know, like I love, I love black sesame ice cream. Like one of my favorite places here in Seattle does a black sesame and matcha swirl, which is just killer. Um, and yeah, and I just, that, that bothered me somehow because that, that's just a matter of what you're used to. That's not a inherent value of like food should be that color. And you, you brought up that moment where everything was charcoal, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And people were specifically Or squid ink. Squid ink pasta, right? Squid ink risotto. Like, that, that is a color that occurs in food all the time. Yeah. But actually, toasted black sesame and seed and honey ice cream, I was really excited to see what that was going to taste like. Um, I don't think I would personally pair it with a cocoa sponge, but each to their own. I could, I could see it. I could see it going well with, like, a super dark chocolate. But... Mm. Uh, I wanted to taste Ian. I thought a taste Ian's <laughs> not, not, not I don't Ian. know. It's a pretty delicious um, beard. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that... So, okay. So Ian has a disaster. Um, his ice cream is melty. Um, he would have had a Chetna situation. One thing that happens is that he puts his uh, ice cream into the freezer and then um, Diana takes it out and she leaves it on the counter. And the way that it's edited, it looks like maybe she was responsible for fully melting his ice cream. But something I noticed on this rewatch is that I'm not sure if he churned his ice cream. He did. He did, but he took it out really early. Okay. Like, I, like in that, so in that montage where they were showing everybody taking it out of the, the ice cream machines, his was far and above the softest he did take it out of the ice cream machine he did churn it but okay. he his was like super super soft because he said he just like wanted to get it into the regular freezer as fast as possible like but yeah in comparison to everyone else's his was the squishiest and i did think that was like concerning then my impression was that they were assigned freezers in pairs more or less like that that it was like two people to a freezer mostly um and yeah. ian ended up putting his in like not his assigned freezer because everything was so chaotic uh and like there you know there was no room and so like diana took his out for a second but because that was like the crucial moment in the way that it was shot and edited it made it seem like she took his out and it melted and it was sabotage or something the other thing about ian's because he does i don't know what his proportion of honey is but honey is an invert sugar so i think it takes longer to freeze anyway 
if I'm remembering correctly. Like, I think that he makes essentially, like, a series of kind of mm-hmm. bad decisions. And then and then Diana shouldn't have done what she did. Yeah. And actually, she kind of pretends like nothing happened. Like, which is a little weird. But um, post this episode, she got a lot of hate for it. Like, a lot. Like, a torrent of internet hate as things go from time to time to the extent that ian had to sort of step forward and be like mm-hmm. can you please stop like it's it's fine i forgive diana it it does seem like that on the show like the first time you're watching the episode it does seem like diana took it out and it was on the counter and it melted and like it it, it seems like entirely her fault um when you don't know all the later drama and context. And it is very off-putting the way Diana, like, didn't say anything to him. Like, didn't say, like, you know, we need, your yours is in the wrong freezer. Like, we need the room. Like, she didn't tell him she was taking it out. Um, and then, yeah, and then she had no reaction after that point. Like, she just kind of kept rolling. Even though, so what happens next, which we didn't, which we still haven't said, is he, he throws it in the bin, right? Right. He, he, bends, he bends it. it. He takes yeah, off his apron. He walks out of the tent. Like, he's that frustrated he said like i don't want to present it and and this is like really upsetting to everybody else sort of except diana right and it whenever something like this has happened even remotely like this has happened on the show i feel like the other person is so apologetic and so chastened and in this case like it did diana did not do that right and so yeah i think it might have been a bit of a defense mechanism would be my guess to just like totally pretend it didn't happen and yeah, it makes me wonder a bit about her life and how she was raised. She seems like she never fully matured into an adult in some ways, Diana. Um, and it's cropped up before. And that might be part of the reason why I don't, why she's never exactly been my favorite. She seemed but. extremely tired this episode, too. Like, like during um, an earlier segment, the camera lingered on her for like a long second where she did nothing but just kind of sigh. <laughs> like, I, I think it was just, she's, she's very worn out. I think by this competition, I feel like she was a little, I don't know. I feel like she finds this challenge, this competition really physically challenging. Yeah, I think you're right. And I sort of wonder, I don't think like she and Nancy can't be that far apart in age, but it, it feels like there's yeah. like 20 year difference there. Nancy's really full of beans. Yeah, and just very, I don't know, kind of nose to the grindstone, very determined, very into it. And Diana, you're right, it just kind of does seem like she'd prefer to be making, like, whipped shortbreads at Christmas time for her family and then, like, relaxing, which is totally fine. At the, at the very end of this episode, Diana does say, like, I think I'm a home baker. Like, I, like I think that's just, this is the, yeah. the revelation of the show is... You know, the show is for amateur bakers, but I think for her, she's realizing it's like, this is all I want to be. It's too much. Yeah, too much for her. So, yeah, it's a little sad. Um, Richard's tiramisu baked Alaska, it melts, um, and he says no one wants a baked Alaska swimming in ice cream, but they love it. Um, And Paul says it's like a technical challenge, but better, which is, can't have a better compliment than that. Oh, my favorite moment in this episode <laughs> is um, two Louis 
or two yes two KitchenAid Louis two uh, yeah he's the two stand mixers yeah, two mixers Louis two mixers Louis yeah going for his meringue trying to get his meringue going he makes a bake well tart raspberry froyo and apricot sorbet on a fringe that also sounds good decorated with cherry top meringue sounds so good um yeah the the only thing of the tiramisu baked alaska is that sometimes when you do baked alaska is like what nancy does and what louis does um they have contrasting colors so when you slice open you have like kind of kind of like a gobstopper type situation (laughs) and yeah so his and nancy's especially in ideal temperature scenarios would be beautiful it's so funny. I, I was thinking about a year ago we were talking when we were talking baked Alaska's. I thought it sounded so silly and retro, sort of. Like what is what a strange, difficult thing to make. Um and then in watching this episode and then I think also because you and Richard both made a tiramisu baked Alaska, which is like all of my favorite flavors, um, I it it doesn't sound ridiculous at all. Like it just it sounds so delicious. Like it's like I just I want to eat all of them in the showstopper. I think that um, it will probably be a New Year's tradition for me uh, now. I think I'll probably make one a year, but I probably won't make more than one a year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll see. You never never say never. Uh, we should we should mention in the judging um, the judges like chastise Ian, right? What okay, so what Paul says in the moment is Paul says like you had a problem with your ice cream, but like did you have a problem with your sponge? Did you have a problem with your meringue? Like where are they? You could have like shown them to us that we could taste them and judge them. In the moment to his face, Mary is very nice. Mary says like it was just one moment of your life that you want to forget, right? But you know, from our perspective watching the show, like two seconds later in the judging tent, uh Mary is like unacceptable. Like <laughs> Like Mary is like way harder than him when they're when they're alone uh, than Paul is. I feel like uh, where she was just like, "Why are we even talking about this? Like, get him out of here! Like, you can't react like that. You have to control your." Like I, I that was surprising to me. I feel like Paul was meaner to his face, and Mary was more like sticking to her principles in private. Yeah, she's almost she's like a bit parental or something. Mary, like. The hard conversation wasn't suitable for his years, but now it's just adults. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That you know, was the frank vibe. Conversation. <laughs> that was the vibe. And he has to. Bring, they make him bring the bin up. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I was actually like, like the well, bin. that's interesting. It was sort of like accidental product placement almost, because I was like, oh, they yeah. use simple human garbage cans in the tent. <laughs> oh, oh, I dear. have. I have a tip for I have a tip I'm, I'm very for any curious listeners. about where this segue okay. is going <laughs> sorry I have a tip for any listeners who bought a simple human garbage can and then were like god did I commit to a lifetime of expensive trash bags what am I doing if you don't know the simple human trash cans are weird sizes on purpose because they make their own trash bags that go with their weird sizes um, uh... and there's like they're specially aligned ones and it's like a stupid grift like printers and ink um, but there are restaurant supply companies that make Ooh. simple human branded garbage bags. <laughs> so if you're willing to buy like 300 garbage bags in a big roll or something, they're like dirt cheap. And to me, this was a savior because you commit to a trash can for life anyway, right? What's wrong with getting 300 trash bags? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Uh, Richard is Star Baker again. 
And Paul says he's like the one to beat now. Yeah, which is terrifying. Um, the way that Mel, Mel talks about him winning is creepy. She says, if you sliced this person across like a stick of rock, you would see the words written, consistency and quality. Which is like the world's creepiest co- compliment. Like Somehow that yeah. blew right past me. It's just like a perfectly acceptable expression. <laughs> I was like, wait, why are we slicing Richard open? <laughs> he works as a builder. He does have on-the-job hazards. <laughs> So Richard Starbaker and we're seeing Ian off. Ian seems sort of relieved, actually, at the very end, I will say. Um, And he says, like, I love baking and I just need to learn to deal with my frustrations. Um, But yeah, his his energy was like, I'm ready to go. You know, he did not seem like heartbroken the way some people do. He seemed like, you know, it was it felt like his time. It did feel like, well, it felt like we may not. Well, we're definitely going to see Ian again. It's tired time for him to go home. And it also felt like Diana had had sort of run to the end of her yes runway. She seems exhausted, and and yeah, and this is even before the internet descended upon her in the way that it does. Well, uh, this has been the Rough Puffs. Uh, your hosts are Andrew Bennett and Kim Fu. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at the Rough Puffs or on Twitter at Rough Puffs. Um, we both also write books. Andrea's latest is an essay collection called Like a Boy But Not a Boy. Uh, and my next is a story collection called Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century. We'll be back with more soon, even if you can't review it because you're an American. Sometimes you ice the cream, and sometimes the ice creams you. Feels like lately the ice is always creaming us, Andrea. Yeah. Time to get an ice cream maker, kid. <laughs>